So welcome back to another Impact Sessions podcast with me, Nick Bramley. I've got a great guest on this week. I've got Simon Brown, who's Director of Sniffers Pet Care, based in Huddersfield. We're going to explore a little bit about Simon's career and what took him from banking to biscuits. Well, when I say biscuits, dog biscuits, really, uh, and a bit more than that. So um, without further ado, uh, Simon, welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Hi, Nick. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for the invite. That's all right. I'm looking forward to exploring this. You've had a high-flying white-collar career, and now you've got sort of a, um, a high-flying dog-collar career. I, did, I couldn't resist that. It was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> I apologise profusely. Everyone just turned off in droves at that. So um, so we're going to explore your transition from what community describes a fast-track career. Uh, you worked with Lloyds Bank for a while, well, for a number of years, um, and now you're the driving force in a family pet uh, treat business in Huddersfield. So... Um, I call it quite a pivot, but it wasn't a pivot in the traditional sense. A lot of people have pivoted because of COVID. Yours is nothing to do with COVID, really. So we'll explore that, I guess. Um, so tell us about your original career path um, and what happened at Lloyd's. What, where did you get to? What did you achieve at Lloyd's? I guess to start off with, I, I always said I never worked for the family business, and I said I never worked with my dad. And so it's <laughs> funny how things, uh, things, things change over time. Um, I went to university in Leeds. Um, um, my mum actually was working for HPOT, um, which was acquired by Lloyd you know, further down the line. I was studying marketing um, and she uh, arranged a meeting for me just to sit down and, uh, and learn a little bit around what they do in marketing within, within the bank itself. Was that part uh, of the studies that, uh, Simon? That, that yeah, month? it was. Yeah, it was just a module in the course and it was just a good opportunity to get in and speak to some of the speak mm. people really I found over time that the best thing to do is just try and get a conversation with someone glean a little bit around what they're up to and you can learn a lot just from that really rather than anything else mm-hmm. um yeah I had, a, I had a sit down the, the gent's name was Andy McLaughlin who was the marketing director at HBOS at the time um really enjoyed it I had a good conversation around you know what their environment was like what the business was like and, and sort of set my uh, targets on jo- joining HBOS when I graduated from uni uh, I wanted to do a placement over the summer. Um, something came up where I could go and work for three months for free um, between the second and third year of uni. Again, landed in, loved it. Uh, really great place to work at the time, actually. Geographically, um, geographically where was that, Simon? I was in Leeds, yeah. I was at Lovell Park in Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was my sort of first venture into the real work environment, um, which was eye-opening compared to sort of university, I guess. You had to knuckle down and do a full day's work and there wasn't... Yeah, exactly. You couldn't couldn't roll in at 11 o'clock when you fell No, no. I couldn't watch DVDs laid on the sofa all day, (laughs) uh, like we used to do. Um, But no, I loved it. Yeah, got on really well with the people and the team. Um, And they actually asked me to work part-time through my last year of uni, um, which was a stroke of luck. Um, They were under-resourced and obviously I'd done three months and and, and fitted in quite well. So Mm. that was good. It worked really well. Um, so I, I barely attended the third year of uni, if I'm completely honest. I spent all my time working and, and trying to nail down a full-time job as soon as I graduated. Yeah. Uh, was fortunate enough to make a, a positive impression, graduated. Um, graduated on the Friday, started work full-time on the Monday. Was was there a carrot of a full-time job during this sort of working part-time? And you said, no, no. Was no. It just, just something you were doing? Yeah, I, I, I sort of backed myself a little bit uh, mm. I was confident that I could you know I, I knew in the first three months that I, I felt like I had the ability to progress um, and and sure enough uh, I guess ability to get a, a permanent role mm. 
sort of back and back myself and did that. And I think that that sort of helped me move quite quickly straight away. So I didn't have that period where I had to go look for jobs. You know, I wasn't competing against other graduates. Mm. I was in, you know, the day after graduation uh, or the Monday after graduation. So yeah, it worked out worked out well then. And I was in marketing for uh, what about four or five years um, around the time, and then things started to turn a little bit greyer as uh, the financial crash hit mm. um, and HBOS was acquired by Lloyd's and we became part of the Lloyd's banking group which I guess looking back I was naive I didn't know what was going on at all um, you know I remember the day we found out and we're all huddled around that we we're on an away day doing uh, some volunteering in, in Huddersfield um, and we we're all huddled around a Blackberry reading the sort of announcement and what was going on with the HBOS and you know I must have been and what, I 23, suspect, 24 at the time. I suspect the announcement was pretty corporate. It didn't really answer any questions that you had. It was more, you know, well, we're telling you because this is what we have to do. We have to tell the yeah, yeah, market. Yeah. We have to I mean, tell, yeah. Anyone, anyone that worked at HBOS at that time will know we're a strong bank. Uh, we're a strong bank and <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll continue to be. Uh, it's just a party line that you heard all the time, which is obviously what you've got to do you know it was a, yeah. I'm sure it was behind the scenes it was an incredibly difficult time and knowing a little bit more around liquidity now and I can't even imagine the challenges they must have been facing mm. you know over that period it must have been incredible incredibly difficult but yeah it was luckily lucky enough I was sort of we were relatively unimpacted as a, as a marketing function within Halifax we popped straight over into the new business um, and actually for me it turned out to be you know, really, really beneficial. You know, the the avenue, the career opportunities just opened up in front of me as we, you know, as we as we operated, you know, across the country. And we were, you know, we went to a sort of eighty thousand, well, I suppose it was close to a hundred thousand FTE um, across, you know, what was Lloyd CSB HPOS at that time. So, so yeah, I just saw it as a real opportunity to progress and learn more than anything. Excellent. So what? What was the acceleration of your career path at that stage? And what what year are we talking about, or what roughly? Yeah, so we're so now we're, we're we're probably up to about 2011. Um, I was super ambitious, too ambitious as a as a young lad, or you know, a relatively young lad at, at that time. Um, and I, I wasn't making my moves in marketing, um, so I randomly, well, I didn't random. I applied for a job uh, working as a executive assistant or executive support to. Uh, the group director for retail for Lloyd Banking Group as a whole in London. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a strange story. I, I applied on the Friday uh, and then went to Cheltenham Races for the week. The week after, sent an email saying uh, I'm not available for an interview next week. Cause I'm away. Came I'll, back be, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. You're not going to interview well after a week at Cheltenham Races either. No, it was good. It, it was good. It worked out quite well actually. So I came back in on the Monday um, to an email saying, your interview was last Tuesday, unfortunately, you've missed it. Um, so obviously I was devastated uh, and got on the got on the email. Didn't actually say I was at Cheltenham, said I was on holiday, obviously. Mm. Um, luckily enough, managed to get an, an interview the next day. So I shot down on the train to London, uh, had an interview with uh, the exec assistant of uh, the group director. That went really well. Uh, then I had an uh, and another interview with the chief of staff of the group, which went really well. Uh, and then ultimately uh, got offered 
the job that I'd originally applied for, uh, even though they'd already told me they got someone in the role. So I must have done something right in the interview, which was well. So, somebody, somebody must have done something a bit wronger than you. Yeah. Done. Maybe, or you don't know. You'll never know. Yeah, that, no. but you never found out either, did you? Really? So no, no. The look yeah, of the, the look of Cheltenham. That's all. Put it down. To. That might be. Uh, were you were you looking at Cheltenham in that week? Can you remember or not? Yeah, actually, I think I was. It was a quite a good week that one. Not too bad. <laughs> okay. Well, you never <laughs> see a few bad ones. Soon. <laughs> you never see a poor bookmaker, though, do you? Okay, so um, so you've accelerated. Yeah, so that, you've gone to London. That took me down to London. Yeah, that took me down to London. Um, I, I then moved, I moved down to London, so I spent uh, just over a year there, um, working it, working in that environment, which was incredible. So, you know, I was. Uh, almost starstruck at times because, you know, it would be, what, 20, 26, 27. You know, you get visibility of the, the board and how they're operating. You know, even have no influence, you've got no say, but you, you sat in the corner and you're just soaking it all in. I had mm. the opportunity to read as much as as much as I could take in at the time, as much as I wanted to. Got a real understanding of, you know, how a retail bank functions, what sort of leader, leadership characteristics I observed being uh, you know, positive for the for the masses, for the people, um, and yeah, just absolutely loved it. Um, not so much living in London, actually. I think professionally I enjoyed it way, way, way more than um, the environment outside. I talk a lot about environment, but I think it's quite critical to finding balance in in, in your career, actually. So, at some stage, you got to a head of function, youngest head of yeah. function under the age of thirty. Um, what was the banking environment like? I mean, I'm, I think when I think banking and city boys, I'm a lot older than you. I think 80s, braces, filofax, yuppies, fast cars, all that kind of thing. What were the vices of the sector when you were down there in the uh, sort of 2010 or whatever it might be? I, th- I think, you know, that that had passed. You, you, you saw the remnants of it, you know, being in the bars with the FT plastered all over the wall, there was wallpaper and champagne. Yeah. You know, you hear stories about it all, but when I was there, that that had certainly passed. It was much more, actually, more socially focused as a bank. You know, they did, you know, there was a big real push on mental health. Mm. Um, you know, it, that became quite a strong story for the bank. It, you know, the weird thing is that that's what probably caught me out. I'll touch on that a little bit later on, but mm-hmm. um, it, it was a, it was a collaborative place to be. I think, you know, Maybe and you know it becomes quite obvious. It's very numbers focused, yeah. And that you know that's been something that's something I took away and will always have in my career. That if you don't know your numbers, then there's no point you being there. You know you've got no credibility. You have to have it backed up by substance. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that's clean through numbers. Absolutely. You can't just go in there and deliver a party line and hope that people will back you up. Yeah. You, you got you got to have that sort of like you say the substance to support that. So you mentioned earlier. No intention of working with your family, no intention of working with your dad or for your dad. Um, but at some stage you must have decided enough's enough and returned to Huddersfield. So what was the what was the influence of that deciding factor, you know, and um what was the conversation over Sunday dinner? Yeah, well it being brutally honest, you know, I'd I'd come out of London, I wasn't really joining living in London, I'd moved back to North, I was still working part-time in London. Uh, integrating team again I really enjoyed the job but I was pushing too hard um, and I was doing a lot of hours you know we were travelling down to London every week uh, burning the candle at both ends as I'm sure you can imagine mm. and I crashed and burned um, I just yeah totally crashed and burned mm. so I woke up w- one morning and thought 
yeah, I can't really carry on like this. This is not for me. You know, my internal compass was out of sync, um, which led me to have quite a few honest conversations with myself about what I wanted to do. Um, I'd obviously enjoyed my time at Lloyd, but it became quite apparent that um, it's probably better for me to go in a different direction. Can I, um, can I ask you, Sam, did, did, did you realise that or was it a realisation by because of an incident potentially? You know, sometimes these things creep up on you and you don't see them coming. You know, was it like, wow, I've just woken up one morning, I just can't do this again. What was your, you know, what was the, was it, the catalyst? There wasn't a specific catalyst. It was that. I went into work one morning, I got to my desk, and I stood up from my desk and I walked out and I never went back. Wow. Yeah, it was a pretty, it was an extremely powerful moment. And it, mm. you know, it definitely caught me off guard. I guess now underlying, there'd been an, you know, there'd been an anxiety developing without, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I'd held it all in and I'd, I'd internalized it and tried to deal with it. And, you know, I'd, the, the, all the pressure was from me. It was all internal pressure that I was putting on myself. There was no external pressure from bosses or, you know, the company itself. It but, was you just, do, but you do strike me as ambitious, hardworking and, you know, burn the candle at both ends, wanting to succeed. And, and sometimes that does, you know, the, the candle meets in the middle, doesn't it? And, and, and like you say, the culture of the organisation wasn't encouraging. It was almost self-encouragement to, to do that and want to do that. But you can only do that for so long. Just interestingly, in the podcast series, I don't know what number it is because I haven't looked, is um, Lorna Feeney, who is a, a specialist in mental health and mental health awareness and training. And, you know, that might be a good listen, not just for you, but for other people on here. If they've got any, you know, they always say on Channel 4, don't they? If you have any concerns about this podcast, please, whatever. But you yeah. know, Lorna's podcast about mental health awareness in a big organisation and what to look for and what the signs are. Um, and sometimes you don't see it coming, do you, really? You, you just, it just hits you, you know, walking in and then deciding to walk out. It's a hell of a brave decision. I guess you probably had a safety net of, of being able to think about the family business as a stopgap. Was that how it worked? No, if I'm totally honest, no. Um, you know, at that point in the business, you know, my dad's story is, you know, a different chapter in the book, but yeah. um, they they just sort of restarted the business, uh, him and my mum, their distribution arm. Um, and that was, you know, in, in, in a very sort of embryonic state, you know, they'd just got products into pets at home, um, but they were building it themselves. There wasn't necessarily capacity for me to join in. Yeah. Particularly, you know, I was... I was earning a few quid well, <laughs> at I was the time. Say, so, I was yeah. going to say, your, your salary expectations at Lloyd's yeah. it would be very different to a family business. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they weren't, they weren't necessarily met on entry. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, yeah, that's just life, isn't it? Yeah. But no, I think, uh, you know, I didn't understand, you know, we talk a lot about, more about mental health and there's obviously a lot, a lot more awareness around it now, but basic things like, focus on sleep, exercise, you know, watching what you drink, you, that sort of stuff you don't care about when you're mm. 28, 29, 30. Well, you're, you're invincible. It's not on your agenda. You're invincible. Absolutely. In 20s, yeah. Yeah. Invincible in yeah. your 20s, Anne, but you realise when you get to a certain age, and I'm a lot more of a certain age than you are, that that invincibility has, comes with consequences in terms of aches, pains, you know, all that kind of thing. But also, like you say, you've got to keep ahead of your mental health. So how did the transition was there anything in between Lloyd's and, and Sniffers or what was the transition? No, so I ended up taking some t just a couple of months out, uh, nothing nothing too major. Um, I had a lot of conversations with, obviously, my mum and my dad particularly around, you know, 
what I could personally do, what I could personally offer for the business. Mm. And then just took a just took a leap of faith. I think you know, I, I backed myself. I always have backed myself, and I thought, well, there's opportunity to to make a bit of a difference, and we can we can get this business ticking. Mm. Um, we just had uh, the Brexit referendum, which you know. When you know it didn't necessarily go the way I personally wanted it, but that was yeah. I, 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 think, I think with hindsight, it didn't go the way that many people wanted Anyone, or yeah. expected. It's been a completely yeah. not a shambles, isn't it? No, absolutely. But it, it but it certainly opened opened opportunities within the uh, within the pet food market. You know, turbulence doesn't it always creates opportunity. Yeah. Um. So we you know we we sort of built a strategy around capitalising on that, um, which you know. Today, touch wood, so far so good, really. I'm assuming that includes things like supply chains and, and import, export, all that kind of stuff then, yeah. yeah. Correct. So, uh, you know, my understanding of the market at the time was a lot of goods was moved from the Far East into Europe and then moved from Europe to the UK, mm-hmm. which obviously made the uh, transit into the UK particularly smooth and easy. You know, you've got very little friction at the, at the ports. Yeah. You can get gear straight into your warehouse. We went direct to India and started dealing. Um, we started building a business, which is now probably 60% of our business, importing direct from India and bringing the goods over themselves, moving them at scale, mm-hmm. um, which was a challenge at first. And you know, I've never, never even touched any sort of uh, import documentation or import process in my life prior to this. But it, it, it meant that we had a little bit more of competitive advantage in, in margin, which is, which is obviously critical in the commercial yeah. environment. But it also meant that we could uh, be a bit, a little bit more flexible around how we position the product, rather than relying on a sort of European partner to deliver that. So, so you're know, putting out, you're putting another one of the transition points. Yeah, as well, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to ask you about family business, right? Okay, family businesses are notorious melting pots, aren't they? You know, it's. A, I always wonder when you work in a true family business. What I mean by that is your mum, dad, son, auntie, uncle, all that kind of thing. How Christmas Day goes if you've had a bit of a row in, you know. You've had, so, did you have any doubts about joining the family business in terms of thinking, well, this could, you know, make or break the relationship with I've got with my family because it can do sometimes. It can be quite yeah, hard. yeah, and yeah, you know, I've you know, yeah, open and honest about it. You know, it's it's caused ruptures in my wider family. So, my dad was in business with his brothers and his dad um, prior to this, and you know, they had the, their own troubles themselves. Mm. You know, hear horror stories around you know, brothers, partnerships, everything falling apart. Um, mm. I guess uh, me and my dad are very, very similar. So yeah. whilst, you know, we will fall out inevitably, it's probably because we're both the same person just going in different directions. So as long as you can get it back on the same path, yeah. there's top, not too much of an issue. What I found, particularly at first, was everything blew up into an argument um, and you'd shout and scream and swear. And obviously, you'd never do that normally in a in a workplace environment, and I couldn't really understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, but it's because there's no emotional filter. There is no emotional filter. There's, there's no. You don't really have any consequences to what you say as, as you do in a traditional work work environment. Yeah. Hey, Joe. So hey, not going to get involved between you and your dad, are they? No, exactly. So once you realize that, then you can manage it a little bit more, mm. and it, you know you can take a pause before you blow up and you think, right, well. In a, in a traditional environment. I could always look back at how I operated in in Lloyd's to understand how I would operate in the family business and think that's really, yeah. really, really beneficial. What would I have done if this was white collar and not family and all that kind of thing? Yeah, okay, interesting. All right. Correct. So, yeah, correct. 
So what was your original plan for Sniffers when you joined? Uh, when was that, by the way? What, when did you join the business? So it's four years ago. It's four years ago in end of March. Okay. So what was your original plans and how are you progressing with those plans? Uh, so our original plan was to get to... So at that time, we were turning over about 650, well, 660K to be exact. Uh, you know, our, our plan at the time was to be quite aggressive and try to get to a million within three years. Um, knowing that that would help substantiate some of the income <laughs> that we that I personally forego and, and you know to, to support my parents. Yeah. Um, you know we hit that number. Uh, so year end seventeen. Wow. Um, so yeah, so way ahead of plan. Um, so that you know that turned out to be really really positive, and that was by bringing in another arm of the business, which I talked about earlier, which was uh, developing our own brand, Buffalo Natural Dog Treats. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got our own IP, we've got our own supply chain, you know, we're building a brand, uh, building a business around that. Um, so that, you know, that was a real big uh, momentum swing. And that's a brand of a product within Sniffers as a distribution mechanism for those products then, yeah? Okay. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah correct. Do you want to explain Sniffers a little bit to us, you know, in terms of what it is, um, what it stocks? So I talked about, you know, I only did it uh, from a, a crash and burn sort of, you know, from uh, banking to biscuits, really dog biscuits. Yeah. I didn't think of anything else, but, you know, it's, it's not dog biscuits, it's treats. And so talk to us about Sniffers. Yeah, so Sniffers Pet Care is, is designed to support the trade, uh, the independent pet trade, um, with a range of products and were weighted heavily towards dog, dog treats, dog biscuits. Mm -hmm. and dog snacks and um, but we do have a, a sort of arm which covers um, small animal and, and bird uh, we distribute brands so we have um, distribution licenses for uh, european brands and um, bow wow Paul. we have our own brands which are uh, buffalo natural dog treats monster shocks and walter smith and we work with the wholesale market and the independent trade to move goods basically from uh, manufacture through to the independent trade and, and the wholesale trade. So you're, you're warehousing for trade and it's uh, online, online, but people can come and, well, we can't at the moment lockdown. Can people come to a property and, 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 and collect like a cash and carry? Yeah, so not, we're not quite at that level yet. We're, we're, we're aiming to be then uh, towards the end of this year, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're a palletized business, so we distribute by pallet. So we, you know, we have a big shed. And we yeah. pallet storage, we pack the pallets up and we get them to customers as, as fast as we can. Yeah. I guess our, our, our unique selling point is um, we've got history in the trade. You know, mm -hmm. my family has operated as retailers um, from the, I think my granddad purchased his first pet store in the 60s, um, mm -hmm. which was uh, on Tib Street, which was the sort of mecca for pets um, at, at that time. It, it, there wasn't an animal that you couldn't buy on Tib Street. So I grew up in that environment. I grew yeah. up in the, Sort of retail pet environment so we know the trade um and we know what we know what sells and we feel like we know what sells and that's evident in in sort of success that we've seen in, in the products we've developed and, and are your your brands and products are, are reflective of that in terms of you know you you're being innovative what's next what's selling what you know what are people crying out yeah for? yeah there's been a real swing within the market to a focus on sort of natural um natural treats you know ears tripe uh, even steak is what we produce i guess our, our knowledge of the retail environment meant that um, in particular my dad's knowledge meant that we focused on providing them with bulk offering at, at mm -hmm. first um, allowing them to break the break the stock down and almost sell it white label 
Um, and then off the back of that, we, we utilised anything we made out of that to reinvest and build our own brand that we would then come packaged. Um, and and I a bit of a craft beer look to it. We, we've sort of leaned on the sort of craft beer approach to, to pet treats. Right. Um, and sort of, you know, we're definitely wedded to that idea. I think it's a great way to sort of position the brand. I mean, they're still going to stand out on an independent shelf, haven't they? They're still going to stand out in a, I, I, you know, I go to a pet shop uh, for for uh, pet food for hours. And um, when you go in, you know, the, the, the shelves are full of stuff. So you've got to stand out on there. So craft beer approach is probably not a bad way of doing it. So why why is why is pet care? Why is it such a good time for the pet care sector? You've obviously, I mean, in terms of hitting your straps for end of 2017, and I'm assuming that growth's just continued and continued in that time. You know, why why is it such a good time? Why is there a crest of a wave for uh, for pet care? Yeah. At the I, th- I think I'm, you know, I'm describing the moment as sort of the golden age of, particularly dog ownership. We're going to see the golden age of dog ownership, you know, you know. COVID's changed everything. There's no getting away from that. Um, mm. You know, it, it's changed how we uh, how we shop, how we spend time with family, friends, how we spend time in a working environment. You know, I'm, I'm sat on my living room table, which, you know, is not necessarily something I would have done in the past. Yeah. Um, people have, you know, got dogs. You know, I can count multiple friends who've gone from saying that I'm not going to have a dog to suddenly out of nowhere they've got a dog. Everyone seems to have a puppy. Um and we've, you know, we know at the end of 19, there were 8.5 million dogs roughly mm. um, in the UK. We expect that figure to be closer to uh, 10.5 million uh, by the end of this year. I, so think, that is a- I think the key, the key there is a lot of people have said in the past, we'd love a dog, but we haven't got, we can't, we don't leave it alone all day. We love a dog, but it's not fair. We'd love a dog, but we can't, you know, look after it, you know, nine to five or whatever. Um, but everyone can these, you know, furloughs, lockdowns, homeschooling. If you've got a dog, you spend time with it and you can take it for a walk at lunchtime and all that. So the dynamics of dog ownership have definitely changed. I mean, the people who previously, oh, yeah. you know, would have loved one but thought it wasn't fair are thinking, well, actually, I'm actually 95% of my time is now spent in the same environment where the dog would be. So why not? You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It gets you out of the house. You know, you can form a solid routine around it. Mm. If you're out walking your dog a couple of times a day, you're going to see the benefit yourself anyway. Yeah, it's exercise, um, isn't it? Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it, it sort of looks slightly better than just walking quickly on your own, doesn't it? Yeah, you got to- yeah, you'd never, yeah absolutely. You never really go for a walk on your own without thinking there's something wrong, do you? But you'll happily go walk for a, with a dog for an hour. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing I suspect about dogs is that their owners have got a habit of spoiling them. Is that right? You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Are treats now not seen as treats? It seems essential. It's seen as part of the, you know, I'll, I'll buy them because we've always bought them and, and our, our dog deserves them type thing. Is that a good thing? I mean, I presume that's Yeah, I, I think that analogy is true. I think, you know, the, a, a, a treat's a discretionary item. You, you know, following on hard times, you can choose to buy it or not. Uh, and, that, and that's a little bit of a dangerous place to be in a, in a market, in any marketplace. But hmm. I think what we're seeing, particularly on the dog side, is that people are wanting to spend more money on the dog than ever before. Mm. Um, but more importantly, they're more conscious about what they're giving the dog. Right. Uh, you know, we we we'll exhibit crufts. We've exhibited crufts for the last four or five years, and I was doing it with my parents while I was at Lloyd's just just to help out. Yeah. The the amount of questions you get around the quality, where's it soft, what's in it, you know, how good is it for my dog, is yeah. unbelievable. Way beyond what you probably ask around your own diet. 
<laughs> I personally find it quite yeah. fascinating. You'll feed, you'll feed your kids some su- suspect chicken nuggets or something, you know, in a crispy pancake, but you'll make sure your dog's got... Oh, yeah, t- absolutely. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. In, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think there's, a, there's more awareness anyway of, of, of health. You know, I, I, when I take our, our pet to the um, uh, vets, you see about, you know, healthy eating and overweight and, you know, exercise and making sure they've got the right balanced diet. So treats are just part of that, I guess, aren't they, to be fair? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's where we've seen the growth in the market. So you've, you've almost got the perfect storm a little bit. I know, it, you know, I feel very blessed when I talk around our situation. I'm sure there's many other businesses going through a very, very difficult period. Mm. Um, at, at the current time, but we've got sort of got a perfect storm of, you know, organic volume dropping into the market and inflating an already growing marketplace. The, I mean, dog ownership was only growing around, our pet market was growing around 10% a year prior to all this. So yeah. God knows where we're going to be in the next three to five years. But at the end of the day, um, I, think, I don't think people begrudge businesses doing well. I, I think the the doobie grudge, you know, people tub thumping and jumping from the rooftops going, hey, look at us, we're doing brilliantly when other people are struggling. But I think yeah. you've got a real night. What I like about what I've seen about the, the business at Sniffers is, is you've got a real humility and a family feel about it. You're not sort of, you know, like, look at us, we're brilliant and all that. You know, you're doing, you're doing well and you're doing well with the right values, I think. Yeah, it's good to hear. I, I mean, you know, personally, I'm, we're wanting to build the business as much as an employment vehicle for the local area. That's, you know, that is one of our key priorities as a business. It's not just about uh, piling cash up in a bank. Absolutely not. You know, I I understand the importance of the employment sector, you know, in my community, in in Coldwell and Kirklees, and I understand sort of the impact that we're going to see for, from off the back of COVID, you know, we might not be seeing it now, but you know, for 12 months down the line, Mm. I do worry for the sort of the local economy. So anything, any small piece or any small part I can play in um, providing employment in, you know, to that area, you know, is incredibly important to me. But I really like, I mean, one of the questions I'm going to ask and you covered that is about giving back to the local area and the fact that, but you are a proud supporter and believer of the North, aren't you really, as a, as a regeneration area? Um, do we get a fair crack of the whip, do you reckon, up North for a, you know, from the media and from funding and from government support, or does it feel as though we're a long way? You've worked in London. Do we feel yeah. a long way? Do we feel a long way from decision making in London, in your opinion? A ma- a massive. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's difficult to articulate how far I feel we are away from from what's going on. Uh, just by sheer coincidence, I didn't know you were going to ask me this actually, or I didn't look at that question. But I was reading some stats around when they announced the Northern Power Art Initiative in 2014, earlier this afternoon. Mm. And the GDP of the Northern Belt from Liverpool to Hull is equivalent to the size of Sweden, Austria. You know, these are the tiers that we're working in GDP yeah. production. Yeah. We do not have the infrastructure investment at the level of those countries. Nowhere near. Yeah. So for me, that you know, it, it starts at the basics. It's, it's important that we build the right environment for people, for people to have sustainable employment. That, you know, we've just been underinvested um, for, for years. You know, I look, I'll get on my soapbox here, but I look a little bit about, you know, how I, you know, even just commuted to work in London. You know, I had the tube, you know, multiple buses every minute allowing me to get to my employer. I actually walked. You know, you had... Uh, Boris Banks available, you know, yeah. everything that was there was available to help uh, people, you know, even at the basic need, just get to 
their uh, workplace efficiently in an yeah. environment that is reasonably, you know, okay. Hang on, I'm going to look at the yeah, train. But, well, but there's still more about the tube done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I use the term loosely on, on the tube, particularly being crammed in it half seven in the morning. Yeah. But if you look at if you look at the state of the carriages moving from you know Leeds to Manchester, you're at two carriages per train. It, yeah. You know, 2021. We should be way beyond that. You know. If you look, the bit that gets me is I, I when we when we you know you're, you're allowed out as it were. I I go quite often across to Manchester, but on a morning every morning. For those who don't know, the M62 queues from Huddersfield to Leeds, three lanes every morning. Not used to. Mm. Um, that's down to infrastructure, isn't it? It's just down Absolutely. to just investment. It's just down to the fact that that's not acceptable. Why would you sit in your car for an hour and a half extra just to get to work? It's ridiculous. But anyway, I love the fact that you're passionate about the North. I love the fact that you're back <laughs> in the North. And I love the fact that you're working in the family business. Um, what do you reckon's the achievement that you're most proud of so far at Sniffers? And what are your future goals? What do you reckon the end of 2021 will look like, whether it's in you know product or growth or whatever what were your achievements first and then where do you think you're going to be achievement I, I, I don't you know again back to the start of the discussion i you know i put myself under an immense amount of pressure uh, i haven't achieved anything that i want to achieve in in, in this business so far right so I, I think what i'm what but what i'm proud of is providing employment you know you know when i started it was me my mum and my dad you know we've now got five fte full-time within the business um, so to to develop that, you know, mm. over, over four years is something to you know to look back on and say, and it, for it to be sustainable. And say, are you I'm happy, that, happy we delivered that? Are you planning to expand within the UK? Do you need another distribution space, you know, somewhere down south to service there, or is it always going to be Huddersfield and Northern base because you can service where you need to from? It might be bigger premises, but you know, you, you yeah. know what's the plan? So the the plan this year is to. Uh, it's taken a bit of a risk. Um, so we've agreed terms on a, on a new warehouse. So we're going from 6,500 square feet to 22,000 square feet this year. That's a bit uh, bigger, so, isn't it? That's that's quite yeah, a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a big leap. We need it. Um, but that gives us something to grow into. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, we moved, when I joined the business, we were in 2,000 square, uh, 1,500 square feet, just about. I remember going to see the warehouse we're in now thinking, God, if we ever fill this, we've made it. And uh, we're bursting at the seams now, so you yeah. know, we're on to the next phase. Where's the, where's, um, where's the new one, Sam? So, so that'll be in Lowfield Business Park in Caldwell, so still very local. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we're hoping to get in there mid, mid, mid-year, mid-term, um, and that'll, that'll enable us to then kick on. Um, we want to bring in more brands, add more brands to the portfolio. Mm-hmm. and provide a, a wider range to entice more independent retailers to work with us. We know that if we can give them a broad uh, product set, you know, it gives them more of an incentive. We can give them a better discount. They get better margin. Everyone's happy. And, uh, so you want to be, be the single source for all of that sort of product range, if you can be, because you can, like you say, pass the margin on and, you know, absolutely yeah, the, yeah, breadth, yeah. the breadth of product range. So you've got the space yeah. to grow into that then, haven't you? That, I mean, I'm assuming that's the ambition for 2021, get bedded in, get sorted out. Make yeah, sure correct. Yeah. 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 When, and, and as part of that, means that we'll create another hopefully three jobs off the back of that um, almost straight away um so again that you know that's a real real big tick um, for what we can deliver in 21 quick question for you when are you going to fill 20 odd thousand square feet of uh, oh yeah how's it what, you know when, when when's the next like oh this is massive but we're squeezing at the, at the seams when do you reckon 
don't, I don't actually want to set a date on that because it's quite terrifying when you think about <laughs> where you go next. Um, that's, that's the thing about sheds. They come in certain sizes. So after 20,000 square foot, you're probably looking at 100,000 square foot, which is, which is a, a terrifying size. Of is, that several, is that several football pitches, that type thing, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're probably at, what, two football? I, I, I should know this, but we're close to two football pitches. I'm talking rugby terms. I'm a rugby lad. Not well, a I, well, either way, pretty similar. It, it's, yeah, a standard, yeah. it's a standard unit of measure, isn't it? The football pitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two things. One is people measure things by the size of a football pitch. Like they'll say an oil, an oil tanker, it's you know 80 football pitches long or whatever. Then they'll say, uh, or they say an area the size of Wales. That's my other favourite one. You know, they, yeah, they always measure yeah, the yeah. size of it, as if we know, yeah. as if we all know how big Wales is. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah, you can you can <laughs> comprehend how big Wales is immediately. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, you know the range Forest, they've lost an area the size of Wales every other week or whatever it might be. So, okay. Well, listen, in terms of the transition from Lloyd's through, you know, like you say, uh, I'll really like your honesty in terms of, you know, some of the reasons for that into the family business. It looks like it's just onwards and upwards for uh, for sniffers and for yourself. Um, it, what's the one learning point you want to share? We've got an audience who SME business, business owners, yeah. people just in the sort of business uh, uh, context of what we do. What, what little bit of advice, and advice is probably a little bit patronising, but what little bit of sort of story would you, no, say, no. Would you say, you know, what... what, what? I, I think I think it's, a lot of it's mindset. You know, you've got to get your mind in the right frame, um, which focuses on our own self-belief. You know, we, mm. you know, your biggest critic is yourself. Everyone knows that. And mm. we always hear it and everyone tells you it, but no one necessarily does anything about it. Yeah. Um, or, can, or can get over that now. It's an ongoing battle, don't get me wrong, but I think once you can get your mindset right and, and envisage your plan, I mean, I have a massive imagination, which helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Think thinking about, you know, what business opportunities exist, but what the future business could look like. I can mm-hmm. almost see it in my mind. And, and trying to have a sort of a vision of what the business could look like in 10 years, you can work back, back you know, step by step and think, mm-hmm. right, but what do I need to do tomorrow to help achieve that? And those little bits will help you achieve a greater goal. Okay. Um, the other but, thing I picked up with several times is you use the phrase back yourself. And I think that's really impressive and really important. You know, if you don't back yourself, people might not back you, might they? So you, you know, you've got to at least throw your hat in the ring and say, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I think you've done that a few times in your career, and including including going to Cheltenham when you should be going for a job interview. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Look, it's not it's not easy and it's not comfortable. I don't find it comfortable at all. In fact, I hate it. You know, there's that always that unease around. Am I doing the right thing? You know, what could go wrong? But mm. you know, it's, it's just a leap. Once you get past the first leap, you become a little bit more comfortable. Then you make the le- next leap. Then you become a little bit more comfortable. If you'd have said at the time when I joined the business that we go from 1,500 square foot to 22,000, you know, I would have said that's almost impossible. You can't even comprehend that though, can you? Because the dif- no. the difference, you have to go through a stepping stone of 6,000 or whatever, because you can't comprehend 1,500 to 20,000. You just can't. It just doesn't look, doesn't look right, does it? No, it, and it doesn't feel right, and you've got no idea how to do that. But at 1,500 square foot, you can envisage what a business could look like operating in 22,000 square foot. Hmm. And then you can think, well, how, what are the steps I can take to get there? And, and hmm. slowly over time, you know, each of your activities will compound in enabling you to make that leap. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, big thing for me is mindset. The second thing, and I'm terrible at it, is patience. You've got to be patient. Um, 
you know, I got burnt in my first career by being impatient yeah. and ultimately burnt out. And, you know, and I have to pull myself back and just keep saying every day, just be patient. It will happen. Just mm. let it happen. Go okay. forth the agenda. I want to leave it on that because that's a really positive uh, couple of messages for us. Simon. I'm just going to share the, the screen for those who watch on YouTube. Most people absorb the uh, the content audio, but uh, I'll just share this with people. Um, most people know if they're regulars that you can access the, the podcast on uh, the Impactus Group website. That leads you to the links for iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all the usual popular platforms. Um, YouTube has got its own channel for the podcast as well. Literally search the Impact Sessions with Nick Bramley. You'll find it on all the popular platforms. I'll put your contact details in the show notes that go out on all the podcast platforms as well, Simon. But, uh, you know, we've got all your contact details on there visually. So you've got your phone number, mobile uh, email address. And, and most importantly, uh, snifferspetcare.co.uk. So um, fabulous to meet you. Fantastic interview. Lots of energy. Um, great to see uh, a real pivot without it being COVID pivot, because we're all yeah, sick yeah. Of the, we're all sick of the the COVID pivot, aren't we? So uh, brilliant, Sam. Thank you for being a guest on the Impact Sessions. Thanks for uh, persevering. We had a couple of near misses trying to get this booked in, didn't we? So, you know, I'm glad we've persevered and, and great to meet you. Yeah, you too, Nick. Thanks for that. I enjoyed it. No problem. Cheers. See you soon.